Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. I am Frances Harry, and I'm so overjoyed to be with you today and share with you on this topic of poetry because it is National Poetry Month. And I have an expert, a poet, an author who's here with me. He's also a Carmelite, and he's here to share with us about poetry as a spiritual exercise. So I'd like to welcome Tim Beat. Tim, how are you? Thanks, Francis. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled that you could come and talk. Um, when you told me it was National Poetry Month, I was like, okay, we got to do a program on this. And so um, you have uh, been thinking about this poetry as a spiritual exercise. So I know we're going to get into some details on that. But first, um, can you tell us a little bit about this National Poetry Month? Well, National Poetry Month, um, it's been going on for uh, quite a while. It's a month where, especially in schools, but um, colleges and elsewhere, where poetry is celebrated. And so um, oftentimes teachers will bring it into the, the classroom. I know our um, daughter, Sister Maria, who's a Dominican sister, in, with her fourth grade is doing a lot of uh, poetry this month. And so it's it, kind of like a lot of months that celebrate things. It's a time to step back and think about poetry in our lives. Well, when you mentioned to me that it was National Poetry Month, it took me back in my memory bank when I was a teacher in the schools. And I do remember us having this one day where the whole day was focused on poetry. And it was amazing and very memorable. And so I'm thrilled that we get to partake in this in a way that will help us grow in our spiritual life. So I want before we get into all those details, I would just want to ask you, when did you first start writing poetry? What got you into writing poetry? Well, I've been a writer for a long time. I'd um, written a couple other books, but I really hadn't written much poetry before. It was really after I became a secular Carmelite. And I, I think there's a strong connection to me between contemplative prayer and poetry, and we might go into that a little bit um, today. But it was almost as if the more time I spent in silence, the more that I wanted to write poetry in response to that silence and to God's love. And so it just kind of um, came out that way. I started to write a little bit, um, again, with our daughter, Sister Maria, trading poems with her. Sometimes I would write them and send them to her, and she writes some poetry, and she would send them um, back to me. But it really just kind of happened naturally, and it was only um, since after I turned 50 that I've been writing poetry. Fantastic. And you have a book out already, and I know you got a second one coming, so I'm going to introduce the first one, and you tell us about the second. The first one that I, I have in my hand here is called The Raw Stillness of Heaven, and it is a book of his poems, and um, we're going to use a couple of them today. Um, one in particular, I think, is a great Linton theme called The Stench. So, um, But you have another book coming out, right? I do. A couple of years ago, our family went on a pilgrimage. We went um, to Portugal and France and Spain and Italy. And I decided before I went that I wasn't going to take a camera with me, that what I wanted to do was take a notebook and write down notes about things that I saw in images and then turn that into poetry. And so within a couple of months, I'll be coming out with that second book, and uh, which is called Wanderings of an Ordinary Pilgrim. And it's about pilgrimages, both abroad and pilgrimages in our ordinary life. Fantastic. And where can we find these books, Tim? They're both on Amazon. Okay, fantastic. So I invite our listeners to check those out. Well, you know, often we think of poetry as an academic topic. 
Um, and I know we used to find poems all over the place in the in our magazines, uh, articles, and but you know they, it's it's not as uh, present in our ordinary lives this day. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, when I was growing up, Francis, I can remember like in Reader's Digest, which you saw everywhere. You'd go to the doctor's office, and oh, it would yes. be there, <laughs> and you would see just in these normal. Um, magazines and publications, you would bump into poetry quite often. And it doesn't happen as much anymore. There are literary journals and things like that, but unless you search them out, you really don't see poetry as um, as much as you used to. And so one of the reasons that um, as I started to write poetry and, and put things online, one of my goals has been to get poetry out again so that people bump into it more often um, and read it, because I think it has a big impact on how we read scripture and other parts of our spiritual lives. And you're a real innovator. You're always coming up with great ideas. So what idea did you come up with to help get that poetry out into people's lives? Well, I read a lot of literary magazines, and typically they have very small circulation. So you may get a few thousand people that read them. And they're great publications if you search them out. But I thought, how do we put poetry in front of people? So I, I contacted um Deacon Mike Bickerstaff, who's the the founder and the editor-in-chief of a website called Integrated Catholic Life, and has great Catholic articles on scripture and spirituality. And I asked him, I said, how about if we do something called the Catholic Poetry Room, where every week we'll feature a Catholic poem? And he loved the idea. He Both of us have a feeling that beauty is one way that attracts people into the faith, um, and it, it increases our faith if we're, we've already found that faith. And he was very receptive, and so this is our third month of um, featuring poems there, and the response has been overwhelming. Oh, fantastic. And like you said, uh, beauty and the arts, uh, music, um, the paintings, and poetry are all means of uh, transcending uh, the normal. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that you have started this Catholic Poetry Room, and... Um, I know there's been a lot of different authors on there. Can you maybe give us a peek uh, of who's been featured? Oh, all, all kinds of people. And what's been um, really exciting for me is I wasn't sure how other poets would respond to it, but they've been so gracious in sharing their um, their work. And so um, some of the people that we've had, um, Dana Joya, who is was the... Uh, head of the National Endowment for the Arts, is great poet, but also writes a lot about um, poetry in the arts. And um, Paul Mariani, um, who's won some uh, quite a few national awards um, for poetry. Uh, Sally Reed, who you had on the program before, who right. write um, Night's Bright Darkness. Right, that was a great... Which, which is, and she's a wonderful poet. And so just finding more and more people, and, and now every day I get a, an email from somebody saying, hey, can I be part of this project? So it's, <laughs> Yay. it's exciting. Well, um, you know, I was wondering uh, as we began talking about, you know, who's the patron saint of poetry, you know? Um, and so I would just like to uh, take a moment to have a, a, a short prayer before we get into the details of how to use poetry as a spiritual exercise. So I'm just going to call on the patrons of poetry, St. Bridget of Ireland, St. Cecilia, St. Columba of Iona, David the King, St. Gregory of Nazianzen, St. Nicholas of Myra. And so we pray in the name of the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God and Father, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of poetry that helps us transcend our normal 
day that helps us reach out to you who are reaching down and stooping down to lift us up. We ask our patron saints of poetry to help us in this podcast to help inspire souls to see poetry as a spiritual exercise. And we ask for a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds and to kindle our hearts so that we may know and do God's will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so your goal is to share poetry so that people can understand them. And I've heard you say that you'd rather uh, reach somebody who's never been, uh, never used poetry as a means to uh, grow in the spiritual life than to uh, reach thousands who are already immersed in poetry. So can you talk about that just a little bit? You know, why is it that one soul you're interested in? Well, one of the big reasons is that so much of scripture is poetry. Mm -hmm. Some experts say as much as 30%. And so scripture is such a foundation for our faith. Understanding poetry, even contemporary Catholic poetry, helps you to understand scripture when you read it and and vice versa. And oftentimes I find that um, one of the great things about poetry is it focuses on small details and it gets us to look at things um, differently. But it's, as I mentioned before, it's the beauty of it that I really like. That there are, somebody may read a poem and see the beauty in it and all beauty leads to God. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what that beauty is. And so it's a way to bring people in in their, their suffering and their hectic lives to slow them down a little bit and the, to point them to God. Wonderful. And so I imagine once a person starts reading poetry and they find how beneficial it can be, especially for their spiritual life, then they're hooked <laughs> because it's good. So um, so we're going to talk about ways that uh, we can use poetry as a spiritual exercise. And of course, um, reading poetry is as a spiritual exercise and in as a tool for the increasing faith is uh, like where we're going to start with. So poetry as a spiritual exercise. So typically I would think that you would want a poem that would dealt with spiritual matters, you know, so picking your material here would be important um, if you want to use it as a spiritual exercise, right? I think so. There are some poems that you'll find that are very overtly Catholic. It's the faith is really the, the basis of them. But because faith encompasses every part of our life, sometimes there, you know, we'll see uh, have a spiritual insight in something that we wouldn't have really thought about in, in something small. Maybe um, it's uh, taking care of a child. Maybe we have a loved one who is ill. And so even some poetry, some of the best poetry that I've, I've read that's not overtly Catholic, and I mean, it's not mentioning God and things, still has a sense of God in our lives. And I think that's such Mm. an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have humanity in common, (laughs) and we all have uh, our joys and sorrows. So um, I also wanted to bring out that uh, not only reading poetry, but also writing poetry is good because um, we, ha- we have a uh, heritage of our Carmelite saints uh, who have written poetry for special occasions to honor somebody's profession or their feast day um, or, you know, a mystery uh, 
like in the rosary. Uh, so we have lots of uh, uh, examples of that because, uh, you know, they don't go out and buy gifts. <laughs> you know, they, they drew pictures, uh, made holy cards, uh, and a lot of poetry. So uh, John the Cross, Teresa of Avila, there's a lot of poems. And, and, you know, they weren't trying to say they were really good at this. They just went and did it uh, as an act of love for the other. And so uh, we don't have to feel like we're an expert at it to begin, right? <laughs> Exactly. I think one of the things that some people um, might be put off by is they might think, well, I can't write poetry. I haven't studied. I um, haven't taken lessons or things, nor had I. I hadn't studied anything when I started to write. I think the key thing is if you feel that God is calling you to that, it doesn't mean that God is calling you to publish a book or, or to distribute your poetry, but as a spiritual exercise to write down as a response to God's love is really a beautiful thing. And I recently got an email from a woman um, who said she had been writing poetry for a while and her spiritual director, she was kind of working with him um, about it and she shared some of the poetry with me. Um, and it was a very personal thing. It wasn't something that she wanted to share with a, a lot of people, um, but it was really a response. And um, as we have a conversation with God, one of the ways we can have that conversation is through writing the poetry. So if you somebody feels called to it, don't worry about... Am I writing a sonnet? What is the form? Just write it. Just write down kind of what your thoughts are and see what comes out. One of the things I'm always amazed at is how quickly sometimes a poem will come out when you're writing it. And I think this was probably true for John of the Cross with a lot of his is um, I sometimes I'll say it's almost like you're vomiting out the poem. It's like it just com comes out onto the paper so mm -hmm. quickly based on that insight or thought. There's not a lot of time to think about the form, you just kind of write it out. Mm -hmm. And um, then you can reflect back on it. It's a great, it's almost like a prayer journal. You can go back and see what was that insight that I had before? What was that um, feeling? What did, where did I mm -hmm. see God in a, um, on a specific day? You know, what was I feeling? And oftentimes we don't do that. So we forget about those things. And it's harder to go back and reflect on them. Today, you know, so many things are about science and technology and doing what is um, efficient and what is productive. And poetry allows us to slow down a little bit and mm -hmm. really think about um, what we're doing in a different way. You know, being a secular Carmelite, it's not about memorizing facts of the history of the order, of doctrine. I mean, that's part of it. It's interesting. But all of this is supposed to lead us to union with God. Right. You're being formed into Christ. Right. We, if we know, if we memorize all the books that ICS has ever published and we have no relationship with God, we've kind of missed the point. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the poetry is one way to have that relationship, whether it's in reading it, because it tells us something different. Like when we read John on the Cross, there's a lot where he's writing prose and it's very dense. And then you read some of his poetry that's really telling about his personal experience. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's amazing. And in it, fact, the nuns uh, would ask John after reading his poetry to, to write the prose on the poetry so that they would have a better understanding of, of all the nuances. And, and it, he wrote at length. So um, it's wonderful. So journaling is one thing that some people do as part of their growth in the spiritual realm. Uh, poetry would be another and uh so all you journalers out there you might be called to to wing it at this poetry too so um i think it, it's a good process to help us develop 
our ideas and and to put on paper you know experiences or feelings it it, it helps us to um, make it more tangible by by writing it down and uh, just the act of writing something down does something to you as well so uh, let's keep that in mind so as uh, we think of poetry as a spiritual exercise now you mentioned about poetry helps you read scripture how about talking about that a little bit more in depth well, a lot of people might even say, well, I never read poetry. But if they're reading scripture, and especially if they're praying the divine office, well, you're reading poetry many times a day because the Psalms are poetry. And as I had mentioned before, about 30% of all scripture is poetry. So whether we like it or not, we are kind of poetry buffs. We're reading that poetry. And so it helps us understand the, uh, the scripture um, a little bit more, especially while there's a lot in scripture um, that is historical. There's also a lot that is very symbolic because when we're talking about God, we're talking about a being that we really can't wrap our heads around. Right. And so poetry is a great way um, to do that. And so the amount of metaphor, for instance, that's used in scripture is significant. Okay, hold up. What is metaphor? Just explain metaphor and i think you're going to use some other terms here so be sure to describe or define these terms so that we know what you're saying so the the um the two things that you see a lot in scripture are metaphor and simile okay. so metaphor is a direct comparison where we're comparing one thing um to another so for instance when um in psalm 100 where it says he made us we belong to him we are the sheep of his flock well the, the point is not that we're actually sheep, we're not animals. Right. But what does that mean that we're the sheep of his flock? So it, it makes you think about, well, what, is a sh what does sheep do? What is a flock? Who is the shepherd? It makes you think about it in a, in a very different way. So it's a direct comparison. Okay. Um, now, a, a simile is similar. It's a comparison. But usually you'll hear the word like or as okay. uh, in there. And so, um, for instance, the, the Psalm 118 that we pray in the office very often is one of my favorites um, says they compass me about like bees they blazed like a fire among thorns so it makes you think about those things and oftentimes if you don't know what it's referring to it's hard to understand it so as an example um what's a fire among thorns and I don't, have you ever seen the like no the, so i can remember when i was a boy scout and we would have fires if you got a, a um like a thorn bush that was all kind of gnarled and everything and was dry it would turn into a fireball very quickly. And the reason was you had all that air and space between the branches. Oh, yes. It would burn very quickly. Hmm. So oftentimes you have to do a little bit of, of research or, or they compass me about like bees. Well, if you've ever been near a beehive or been chased by bees, you know right. what you know what that <laughs> right. means when you're swatting at, at every angle and they're chasing you around. So it gives you a, um, gives you a different feeling and, and Usually, even when we're growing up, that's how we learn most things is through metaphor. For, right. So you think about when you teach a young child about something, and there was a friend of mine, she was saying how she was teaching her, um, her toddler what a jar was, and the toddler would call any container a jar. If it was a huge barrel, it was a jar. <laughs> and so how do you learn that? Well, you, you learn that a really big jar might, is called a drum. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's different things or where um, a young child will call every animal a cat mm -hmm. because it doesn't know yet. Mm 
Well, how, it's those comparisons, how we learn things. And that's true on the spiritual side, too. It's the comparisons in Scripture mm-hmm. that help us gain spiritual understanding. Yeah, like Teresa was talking about the union being like rainwater going into the river and becoming one. So she used a lot of that. So uh, those are good examples. Um, so um, how about uh, an example about Jesus? Um, I, I know you had talked something about uh, Jesus and the house of bread. Talk about that as an example. Well, if, if you think about the, the bread of life discourse, um, where Jesus is um, talking about how he is the Eucharist, he um, and it's such a profound thing. But unless you go back to the other parts of Scripture where it's talking about um, bread and things, you kind of miss some of the, the great symbolism. And one of the biggest symbols is when Jesus was born, he was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Right. And where, and where was he placed as a baby? In a manger, which is a place that animals eat out of. Right. Well, what a great connection that is. So he, he's born in house of bread, put in a place that you eat out of. And then later on, he says, I am the bread of life. What a powerful connection to see those two. And when you think of all those connections, then every time you see bread of life, you know, all of that is in the background. So that takes your prayer up to a much higher level than if you're, you know, still just trying to discern what what does that mean? So it's just like a little phrase can encapsulate so much and it's so rich. And I think that's why poetry... um, can help you just really ponder things uh, more deeply than uh, when it's all written out. Um, so reading poetry then will help us pick up on the metaphors, the symbols, the similes, um, and it trains the mind to see the connections like you had mentioned. Give us a, another way that poetry will help us as a spiritual exercise. Well, another way is that it, it slows us down. Right. And oftentimes we've had a hectic day or, or we, we get up in the morning, we're praying the office, and we race right through it. And with the Psalms being being poetry, it should really be slowing us down. And it, poetry is a condensed art form. So it's it's not particularly long. We have that shorter line length. And that slows the pace of your reading, similar to when you pray the rosary. One of the goals of the rosary is, in its repetition, it should be slowing us down. It shouldn't be um, be (laughs) Some people race through their rosaries, so I just want to encourage everybody to slow down. (laughs) And sometimes it takes, maybe this has happened to you, Francis, I'll be reading The Office, and I'll just stop and I'll think, I didn't catch a word of what I just read. Mm -hmm. So you, you go you have to go back again and right. um, and read it more slowly. But poetry, because of the rhythm that it has, tends to kind of naturally slow us down. And that's why reading other Catholic poetry, too, is a great kind of introduction um, to any prayer time. And one of the people that contacted me because of the Integrated Catholic Life website was Sister Mary Grace Melker, who um, is a Carmelite nun in Indiana. And she shared with me, she writes some poetry, and we're going to include some of that poetry on the site. She also writes icons, um, so she's very artistic. But I, she, I sent her a copy of my book, and she, they were having what they call a silent hermit day, which I guess is when there's just silence for the entire day. And she said that she had used my book as kind of an introduction to as she sat in silence and prayer. And I thought, boy, what an honor that is to <laughs> right. have your book someplace I'm like that. But I also thought if a Carmelite nun is using poetry 
as a way to begin her prayer time. And I've heard of a lot of people doing this. Um, we've been on retreats together where the, the retreat master read a lot of poetry. That's an important thing. So I think mm-hmm. whether, whether it's reading scripture or other poetry, it's a great way to slow us down. Yes. And, you know, I have to admit, when I first saw your book and I'm looking at the cover, just the title alone slowed me down. The raw stillness of heaven, and I, I and I took it into prayer right then and there. <laughs> I have to say, I just love that title. You know, stillness uh, speaks a great deal to a Carmelite, and of course, we're all heaven bound. So uh, that title uh, really was a, a a nugget that l- helped me leap into prayer. So thank you for that. <laughs> okay, so um, let's go on to another way that. Poetry helps us as a spiritual exercise. For me, poetry helps me be thankful for things, too. And part of that is it helps us to see beauty in our life. But it also helps us to see the details in our life and the small things. And the poems that I like the best are the poems that focus on something that I would have missed otherwise. Mm-hmm. A, you know, n- not, focus, not an epic poem focusing on, you know, a long period of time, but something that's just a little snapshot, something that um, that you see, because there are so many things that we should be thankful for in our life. So many daily blessings, whether it, you're driving to work and you see, you know, a sunset or a rainbow, um, you know, the fact that we have running water and, and can drink clean water and all of these things. Um, so I, for me, poetry helps me to be thankful by seeing what those details are. And the Psalms are especially good for that. Think about how many of the Psalms are Psalms of Thanksgiving. Right. Poetry about Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's an example that you had mentioned earlier from Judith. I think it was Judith 16.1. Do you want to talk about that? Tell us what that is and your sure. thoughts on it. Judith 16.1 reads, Break into song for my God to the tambourine, sing in honor of the Lord to the cymbal, let psalm and canticle mingle for him, extol his name, invoke it. I think that's just a good example saying poetry and psalms and the canticles, these are things for Thanksgiving and to celebrate. Yeah, and when I think of psalm and canticle mingling, I'm thinking of my music background because <laughs> I was a, a band director and a music teacher, and, and this brought to my mind, you know, how many times when we're singing, the verses actually started as poems and then were put to music and then mm-hmm. refrains recreated. So uh, when you're singing at Mass, uh, maybe just take that song and just read it and ponder it. Um, I think... I think the poetry and the music are both ways that just slow us down so that we can get to thinking about what it is we're saying. What what are we speaking? Uh, how are we praising God and thanking God? So uh, I, I like that you point out uh, poetry as a way of thanking God and, and focusing on the beauty in our life because we, we lin- live in a hectic world. And if we don't slow down in those moments, uh, you know, burnout is going to be big. And uh, as a Carmelite, I think that we can really address that um, through using poetry as prayer as one example. Okay, so uh, what's another way that we can use poetry? Poetry leads to silence, and silence leads to deeper prayer. So one of the astounding things to me, and it comes into the, the number of patron saints for poetry too, is just the sheer number of saints who wrote poetry. So Thomas Aquinas and um, Therese, Pope John Paul II. There's a great 
vast tradition of saints who wrote poetry, and I think that's because there were so many contemplative saints. Okay. I don't think it, it meant that they were great writers to begin with. I think it's because that poetry just naturally came out of them as their prayer lives advanced and um, they, it was just their response to God. So some of, like Therese is a good example. She's not a great poet by any means, but she wrote so much poetry. And ICS has a book just on her poetry, both in responding to God and, as you mentioned, just for the sheer joy of it, to celebrate mm -hmm. Christmas, to celebrate a, um, a birthday. And it's really kind of a neat thing to see. Because she, she wasn't, um, did, it wasn't like she had a PhD in literature or, you know, or had studied all of these things. It's just something that kind of came naturally to her. Well, um, I know in St. John of the Cross's, the collected works of St. John of the Cross, there's a whole section of, of his poetry. And of course, his major writings were all based on poetry. Um, so you want to address that uh, at this time? There's a, a, a section in the collected works. Um, that I think is so powerful, and I'll, I'll just want to read it to you. It's the, in the introduction to the spiritual canticle, and this is what it says. Asking ourselves why John expressed this loving communication in poetry, we find the clue to an answer in his prologue. There he explains that the stanzas are utterances of love flowing from mystical understanding. In stanza 25, he tells how the beloved can set the soul ablaze by a loving touch, like a heart spark leaping from a fire. The will is then enkindled in loving, desiring, praising, and thanking God. Which is just, just a, a, a beautiful, um, beautiful thing. And it, it goes on, and it talks about um, St. Teresa. She had had an experience um, of one of the nuns who was, um, had a lot of pain and um, different things. And what she, um, what she said about it was she said, I know a person who, though not a poet, suddenly composed some deeply felt verses while expressing her pain. <laughs> and so yeah. it was almost like she had such pain but saw God in that, that poetry just naturally flowed from her, even though she wasn't a poet. Right. So, th so th th it kind of gets back to that connection between the, the silence and poetry. I don't fully understand it at all, and I'm certainly not on um, the level of these great saints, but there's something about knowing God with some people where that poetry just flows out of them. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm thinking of the probably the most famous one of St. Teresa of Avila, which we know as her bookmark. Whether she actually wrote it or whether somebody wrote it and she just kept it, um, I'm not real sure, but you know, we attribute it to her nonetheless. <laughs> and it is the famous one that, that goes, Let nothing trouble you. Some some editions say, let nothing disturb you. But So let nothing trouble you. Let nothing scare you. All is fleeting. God alone is unchanging. Patience everything obtains. Who possesses God, nothing wants. God alone suffices. And I know I've taken parts of that and just used one line at a time. Uh, to think about in prayer, and um, it's a beautiful thing. No wonder she kept it in her book. Uh, but yeah, she might have written it. I, you know, I because I don't remember if if she was the author of it or or she just had it in her book. But you know, she's famous for that. It's all over, um, and it is beautiful. And you know, it does get to the most important thing. God alone suffices. That's all we need. And God. at times when maybe we're struggling, maybe we're in pain, and 
we're anxious, it's often difficult to pray in those times, to find the words, or yeah. you know, we, we don't have the time. So what better than a poem like that? to read and meditate because yeah. you can just take a few lines of it and it's so powerful and of course we know the blessed mother in moments of great joy um uttered a poem uh, I, it was also from the old testament but she speaks it again in her present circumstance you want to address that right so the, the canticles the canticle of, of mary the canticle of zachariah what a beautiful thing as she's talking to elizabeth and her response is poetry <laughs> and, you, you know, you, I can just imagine the, um, the, the look on Elizabeth's face because it's not something, it's like a, in a musical when somebody just breaks into song. It, and, yeah, and this is, this is the one, what we're talking about is from Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55, that begins, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I just take those two lines there, and that takes me into prayer itself, just thinking about that and, you know, putting myself into Mary's shoes, you know, by the grace of God, I, you know, uh, giving an ascent a, uh, a semblance of what Mary was thinking and feeling and you know what does that mean about her soul and her spirit and you know how I can identify with that and then you know uh, it helps you to join in on the praise and the thanksgiving uh, so these very big moments of, of joys and sorrows are are great possibilities and potentials for uh writing the poems. So uh, you talked about uh, St. Thomas Aquinas to me. What, what is his connection with all of this poetry here? Well, a lot of people don't know, but he was a poet nice. as well as um, being a, a great theologian. But what really hit me as I looked at the link between poetry and silence was um, the fact that near the end of his life, um, he didn't finish the Summa. And the, the famous quote is he said, all I have written seems like straw. <laughs> well, what, what does that mean? And I think what it, he meant was, as brilliant as he was, as, as many insights as he had about God, the writing couldn't compare. Mm -hmm. God is always bigger than anything that we can kind of understand. And I think he almost gave up saying, God is, is, is I can't capture God. There's nothing that I can do. And the same is, is for poetry. Anything that we do as humans is only kind of a... Um, you know, a dim mirror of what God actually is. And I think it's amazing that somebody at that level, but Aquinas was not only a theologian, he was a contemplative and um, wrote some beautiful poetry and, um, and song. And it, it was just kind of an amazing thing to think about somebody even at that level. So he was quiet after that. And mm -hmm. I, I think really what he was saying in that statement was, the best thing to do is to be quiet with God. There's mm -hmm. nothing else that I can do at this point that is more efficacious or um, a, a better in my relationship than to have that silence. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the 30 minutes of silence in heaven in the book of Revelation. It makes you ponder, you know, well, what was happening in that 30 minutes? You know, that adoring, that the, the awe, the awesomeness that is beyond any kind of language, you know. Mm -hmm. And so. it's kind of linked a little bit to me with... Um, Poetry is almost like speaking in tongues a little bit. Oh, and tell us about that. Why Why would you say that? <laughs> well, be, it, you know, in Romans, um, it talks about how 
the the spirit itself intercedes with inexpressible groanings mm. when we can't ex- express things. And I think poetry works that way. Sometimes we can't express something to somebody. And I think with John's poetry, there was a, lo- a lot of that when he wrote The Dark Knight and, and uh, some of these other poems. It was impossible for him to write down what his experience was. Poetry was the only thing that came close, even though it was still not really even close to the experience, but it was as close as he could get. And so to me, poetry is kind of like an inexpressible groaning of the spirit. It's Mm. something that comes out of prayer and we put into words. But even when I write poetry, sometimes there are times when I'll look at it and I'll say, I, I don't really even know what that line means. Mm -hmm. What is, what did I just write? And so it, it kind of feels almost like speaking in tongues where Sometimes you have to have somebody else translate for you. What what was it that I just said? Oh, interesting. Wow. All right. Um, so let's go on to another way that poetry helps um, to help us grow in this spiritual life. That's that's so profound. I almost <laughs> I almost want to take a breath and just like ah, take that in. <laughs> I got that inexpressible groaning happening as we, as we're sitting here. But you don't want to be quiet on a podcast, right? <laughs> so let's go on. <laughs> I think poetry helps us um, understand ourselves and uh, other people and the shared experiences that we have. So you had mentioned before, oftentimes people have um, trouble expressing their emotions or especially their spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. We know we share them. And, and what a bond it is when you talk to somebody and you realize you've had a similar prayer experience and how it, it kind of bonds you together um, in the faith and, and with God. I think poetry can kind of bridge that gap sometimes. And a good example is St. John of the Cross's poem, The Dark Night which describes a really intense experience he had of contemplative prayer, and it makes us it easier for us to understand what he experienced much more than if he tried to write it in a, a very literal manner. Right. Because it, it is so um, poetic. It's something that, uh, in just regular prose, what would he say? What, what could he have said about mm-hmm. that? So he had to use a metaphor, something that we would understand about our beloved and, um, and human love, in a way that would help us say, oh, it's got, I kind of understand what his experience was with God reflecting it in human love. And I've often been told by our Carmelite friars at retreats um, when studying St. John of the Cross that one should start with his poetry and just read that outside of all of the other commentary. Just sit with the poetry and go through the poetry and, you know, chew it, uh, let it let it savor within your mind, taste it, uh, do a Lexio Divina type uh, exercise with the poem itself before you go into the commentary. Um, so I just want to put that out there to, for people to That's consider. That's a great point. In, um, in Lexio Divina, it's interesting. We, uh, we usually do that with scripture. You could certainly do it with poetry. One of the things that I have found is when I do Lexio with scripture, that's oftentimes where poetry comes from. Mm. It will it will come right out of that where there will be an idea or something that I hadn't ever noticed before, even though you've mm-hmm. read it a, a thousand times. Um, like I re- I recently wrote a poem um, that had to um, to do with um, with Lazarus and being raised from the dead. And the scripture verse I had never noticed before was it said after that, the Pharisees sought to kill him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, 
poor guy. He gets raised from the dead and people are out to kill him. (laughs) Again, I mean, how long can this go on? Well, I had read that scripture a thousand times, but it was only through really focusing on it that sometimes you see that. And that's why I've heard some, um, you know, spiritual directors say you should be able to read the same scripture verse every day for your entire life and always get something different out of it. God will work in, in different ways through that. Of course, we know with Scripture, it's the inspired word. So there's an extra reason why you would be inspired. I mean, there's a supernatural reason yeah. there. So to, to me, one of the things that's interesting about St. John of the Cross, though, was that people, the, you know, the, the nuns at the time asked him to explain it. And I think he must have kind of scratched his head a little bit um, about that. And Mark Danis and I have talked about this a little bit. You know, it's almost as if if you went and um, you had seen the most beautiful sunset you'd ever seen and you were telling somebody about it, this beautiful sunset and how you saw God in it and how it really it, it changed your life and what an experience it was. And the only question the person had was directions to how you drove to get there. <laughs> and you'd be thinking, well, that's not the point. I'm right. telling you about this thing that, that touched me. And I think that's what John's poetry is. What he's talking about is he, he, the message is really divine union is possible. Mm-hmm. And we have this God, God that seeks out that union with us. Yeah. That's the point of the, the poetry. Are there steps and things in there? There are, but my guess is that when he, he had to go back and look at that and, and kind of think about that, he was not thinking about, I want to write a poem with these steps in it. They were, they were there, but I don't think that that was his, um, his purpose. And, and one of the reasons that I, I say that is in the collected works of, of St. John on the Cross, um, John asks in the prologue, who can describe in writing the understanding the beloved gives to loving souls in whom he dwells? And who can express with words the experience he imparts to them? Who finally can explain the desires he gives to them? Certainly no one can, not even those who receive these communications. And I think he's talking about himself in that saying, Yes. I can't explain these. Even in my poetry, there is nothing that we, we're, no way we can really express that union that he had. We'll all experience it when we get to heaven. What a beautiful mm-hmm. thing it will be. But even those who experienced it, there was no human way to communicate that to other people. Right. And I always like to balance that dark night poem with the living flame of love. Because <laughs> the living flame of love is about the heaven, you know, the union. Um, and so uh, it's it's nice to balance the dark night, which is a, a lot about the purification, which needs to happen both in the sensory uh, part of the soul and then the spiritual. Um, it, it is, Francis, but even within that poem, it's all about joy. I think sometimes we see that darkness in it, but even when you look at the first stanza that says, one dark night fired with love's urgent longings, ah, the sheer grace, I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled. Twice he appears, ah, the sheer grace. It's almost like he couldn't even continue the poem without right. saying, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Look at these things that are, are, are going on. I think that's the point of it. The, the, the dark night is as much about us getting to that divine union. It's all mm-hmm. about that union. It, it's not about focusing on the hardships. Mm-hmm. He, he re, I don't even think in the poem he was focusing on the hardships. What he's talking about is there's this incredible God that loves us so deeply and long for that. And if that's the only thing we get out of the poem, that a desire for, I want to experience these things that John experienced, that's what, that's what it's all about to me. 
Yeah, because it's experiencing God. <laughs> right. It really is. I think that one line, ah, oh, the sheer grace. I think when Therese read that, um, she must have stopped and went into deep prayer because there's a quote of St. Therese. It's a famous quote, all is grace. <laughs> and she loved John of the Cross. And uh, so I think when she read that particular line, it just took her on a sail across the sea into the dark night, but into the arms of God. So that's beautiful. So um, I know we could read the whole poem here. Um, do you want to do that? You want to read? It'd be nice coming from your voice, Tim, because you're the male voice here instead <laughs> of me. So if, if you wouldn't mind, why, why don't we take a moment and uh, just put ourselves in, um, in a state, of, a receptive state to, to listen and slow down and to think, you know, of St. John the Cross and what, what he was trying to convey to us through this poem, The Dark Night. One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, ah, the sheer grace. I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled. In darkness and secure by the secret ladder, disguised, ah, the sheer grace. In darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. On that glad night in secret, for no one saw me, nor did I look at anything with no other light or guide than the one that burned in my heart. This guided me, more surely than the light of noon, to where he was awaiting me, him I knew so well, there in a place where no one appeared. O guiding night, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover. Upon my flowering breast, which I kept holy for him alone, there he lay sleeping and I caressing him, there in a breeze, from the fainting, fanning cedars. When the breeze blew from the turret, as I parted his hair, it wounded my neck with his gentle hand, suspending all my senses. I abandoned and forgot myself, laying my face on my beloved. All things ceased. I went out from myself, leaving my cares, forgotten among the lilies. Well, thank you. I really appreciate hearing that again. So thank you, St. John the Cross, for lifting us up in prayer through the dark night. Well, we've covered a lot of points. Uh, if people can't find a way to use poetry as a way to increase their spiritual life, <laughs> I think they haven't been listening because you've given us several different points that are all valuable in helping us to grow and to um, uh to, to pray, to um, lift ourselves into the arms of God, to be lifted by him into his heart. And I know there's um, a lot of uh, people that you have mentioned uh, that have been writing poems. I know there's a lot of books out there. Uh, could you give us some uh, suggestions of uh, Carmelite poets we could refer to? Oh, there, there are so many. So one of my favorites is um, Jessica Powers, um, Sister Miriam of the Holy Spirit. And ICS has a great book, The Selected Poetry of Jessica Powers, that you can get from, uh, from them. And so she's a Discouse Carmelite nun. I just want to point that out. Right, right. 
um, and, and very famous, even in secular circles. Her poetry is, is fairly famous. And then there's the, uh, the poetry of St. Therese, that ICS has a, um, a whole book about just her poetry. There's the collected works of St. John of the Cross that we've, um, we've referenced. Um, Barbara Dent, um, who is a secular, has a, a book, The Marriage of All or Nothing, um, selected writings. One of the great places that, of current Carmelite poetry is uh, Father Bonaventure Sauer um, has a, something called the Poet and Contemplative Blog. Mm. And if you search that in Google, it will come right up. And I believe he's putting out a couple uh, books of poetry of his own poetry. I've contributed some there, but you'll find some different um, current Carmelite poets there. Okay, so Poet and Carmelite Blog. Right. All right, very good. And then, of course, we have your book, The Raw Stillness of Heaven, and the new one that's coming out when, and what is it called again? It'll be coming out within the next couple months, and it's called Wanderings of an Ordinary Pilgrim. Okay, well, we want to check that out. And I just want to mention one book that that is uh, not very well-known that I'd like to make well-known. It's called The Barb of Fire, and it's 20 poems of now Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity with selected passages from Blessed Columba Marmion. And um, it's kind of hard to find, at least it was when I was looking for it, but it's got 20 poems of Elizabeth of the Trinity that are wonderful. So um, this is a great way to celebrate this month of April is to read some Carmelite poetry and use it to help you grow in your spiritual life. So did you ha have any other final words before we close today? Um, the only, I guess, just the kind of a parting um, thought is one thing to do is just to be more aware of the poetry we see in scripture and to realize that it is poetry. And, and there's two simple ways um, to do that. One is just to look at the format of it. You know, you, when you see shorter lines, there are some things like when you look at the Psalms and it looks like a poem, which is so you can be aware, hey, I'm reading poetry right now. And the other is to be aware of repetition. Oftentimes when you hear repeating phrases over and over again, what you're reading is poetry. And so I think that's a great thing, even if somebody doesn't go outside of scriptures or praying the divine office to realize I'm praying in poetry. Beautiful. Well, I'm really grateful that you have joined me for this podcast. And I think we've got another one planned where we're just going to read some poems, right? That would be fun. Yeah, I like that. So I, I want to thank you for bringing our attention to this on how we can use poetry to help us grow in our spiritual life. Um, because God is calling all of us to holiness, and poetry was, is a sure method to lift us out of the humdrum of our daily uh, being and to identify um, with uh, the, um, the utterances of the heart. So thank you, and I look forward to our next conversation. God bless you.